You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. Good morning. So good to have you guys here. And uh, if you're tuning in online, a massive welcome. If you're on the balcony, give me a wave. Top shelf, love it. Uh, so good to have you, and uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh, I'm part of the team here, and thrilled, excited to be bringing God's word. My expectation, as always, is that God is in this place, and God is going to move this morning, and people's lives are going to be transformed. I want to say a big well done for coming to church when the World Cup final's on. Uh, it kicks off 11 o'clock, so I'm sure lots of you will begin to take notes at 11 o'clock <laughs> on your phones. So uh, I'll take it as a compliment. And uh, anyway, we're, we're excited to have you here. For those of you that have maybe joined us today or, or new to church, we're in a series on prayer over summer. We are digging into the Lord's Prayer, spending time exploring what does it mean to pray in the pattern of Jesus. And before I go on to talk about what we're on today, I want to read a prayer, a declaration that I heard this week um, which I absolutely loved. And I don't know the author of it, but it has really... Uh, begun to change my thinking um, as I have prayed this this week and declared it over my life and our church. And it's called, I Am Relentless. Let me read it. I am relentless. I am not going to sleep around, fool around, or mess around. I am relentless. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I am relentless. I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, useless regretting, or hurtful resenting. I am relentless. I know what matters most, and I'll give it all I've got. I'll do the best that I can with what I have for Jesus Christ today. I am relentless. I won't be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, defeated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. When things get tough and I get tired, I won't back off, back up, back down, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I am spirit-led and mission-focused, so I cannot be bought, I will not be compromised, and I shall not quit until I finish the race. And to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I am ready anytime, anywhere, anyway. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, I am relentless. And I want to be used by you, God, in such a way that in that final day, I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful one. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. Amen? There's a line in there with that prayer, that declaration, which I love, which says this. I won't be captivated by culture manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, defeated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. Put your hand if that's the kind of person you want to be. This is the kind of church that we want to become, who refuse to be defeated by temptation or intimidated by the devil. Today in this talk, Um, In the series title, Teach Us to Pray, I want to focus on the final line in the Lord's Prayer. If we could have the Lord's Prayer up, please. 
says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you know the key to living in victory over temptation and resisting the schemes of the evil one is prayer? And so today I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about temptation and the devil. If you're new to church, welcome. (laughs) Great to have you. And I'll speak about temptation and the devil for probably three hours. No. And so over the last six weeks, we've journeyed through the Lord's Prayer. We started in worship, our Father Hallowed be your name. And then we moved into partnering with God in remaking the world. Your kingdom come. And then into surrender. God, your will be done. Not my will be done. But God, I lay everything I am before you and say, God, may it be done according to your will on earth in hell as it is in heaven. And then we talked about provision, didn't we? Because prayer positions us under the abundant resources of heaven. And then Anthony last week, how good was Anthony last week, talking about forgiveness, a refusal to allow anything to come between me and my heavenly father or me and my neighbor, or even more challengingly, me and my enemy. Forgiveness. And finally, we come to this line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one in the original language. Now, I don't know about you, but I was thinking and meditating on the Lord's prayer, and I think that This line, lead us not into temptation, I would probably say this is the most neglected and ignored line in the Lord's Prayer. Anyone else? Is that just me? I would argue that in my story and in my life, I have probably, out of the Lord's Prayer, focused on this prayer the least. And I would suggest that as a church, I would guess we probably pray this prayer the least too. You come to our Monday night prayer meeting or any of the prayer gatherings we do every, set, every Monday night, 7.30 here, join us, plug. And you'll see us worshiping the Lord together. You'll see us praying for the kingdom of God to come. You'll see us praying for provision. You'll see us praying for sur- surrender. You'll see us praying for forgiveness for our sins and the sins of the world. I can't really remember a prayer meeting where we have corporately prayed as a community, God, lead us not into temptation. I wonder why that is. Got a couple of suggestions. Is it because we don't think that we need to pray in order to avoid temptation and resist sin? In other words, I think I can do this without God. Second option Could it be that we don't take seriously the pursuit of the things of God, the pursuit of the holy life, that we've lost our need to avoid temptation altogether? Has culture so seared the conscience of the church that we no longer even want to avoid temptation at all? I don't know the answer to that, but what I'm convinced of is that as I look back over the journey of my life, my story There is evidence present in my choices, choices which have led to sin and brokenness and hurt and pain and disconnection from God, choices which have led me away from God and shaped me out of his image that reveal I should have prayed this more. I needed to pray this more, Lord, lead me not into temptation. And so today I want to unpack what it looks like to step into prayer as warfare, because this final line isn't just a request from God, like God, make my life easy. It is actually an active participation in a fight. Prayer is warfare. Amen. How many of you know, guys, that we are currently 
at war. The battle we're facing is not primarily physical. It's not primarily territorial or military. It's not primarily a culture war or a class war or a political war, although all of those battles are being played out before our eyes in some way in this cultural moment. But in reality, the primary battle that humanity faces is a spiritual one. That is to say that our physical world, our very beings are a battlefield for a spiritual fight. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen to this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Essentially, it is this, behind that which we can see, behind our physical world, behind our governments and systems, behind all people, all flesh and blood, behind all evil and all pain, there is a spiritual reality that we can't see. And in that spiritual reality, Paul says there are forces of evil and powers and rulers and principalities which influence and infect our world with evil. We live in a battle. Now, some of you are looking at me like you've never heard this before and you're getting stressed. Relax. It's all okay. And if this is news to you, I hope this will be helpful because I hope we get to see with fresh eyes what's actually happening in our world. Now, most of the time we can forget, can't we, that we live in a spiritual battle. We can become numb or blind or distracted to it, to the fact that there are very real enemies trying to, as Peter puts it, wage war against our souls. There's a couple of dangers that the church has fallen into when contemplating the spiritual battle. And that is a lot of Christians over-spiritualize. I wonder if you've met these kind of Christians. They see a demon in every interaction. Every under pebble, every, under every pebble, there's a devil. It's like, oh man, I went to the shops the other day and I was praying, God, give me a parking space. And I got there, it was the perfect one and someone just nipped in. And then it started to rain and it's like, the devil's coming after me. No, he's not. Relax. Intensity is not a gift, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes, that was a joke, and uh, <laughs> obviously wasn't that funny. Sometimes we blame the devil for our bad choices, right? Every, uh, let me tell you a story, when I was probably eight years old, um, my sis- younger sister was three, and uh, for some reason, I hit her in the face with a stiletto. Yeah, well, I don't think it was a stiletto, but in my memory it was. It was, it was one of my mum's high heel shoes, and we were having an argument, and she was three, and I was eight. What was I doing? Anyway, my mum, don't judge me, we're in church, right? My mum flipped out, like lost her mind, and do you know what I said? I said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> At eight. And mum was like, no, she, no, he didn't. Chill out. Um, So sometimes we blame the devil for our poor choices. Sometimes we reap what we have sown. Uh, Sometimes we blame the devil when people oppose us, and it's actually because we're being a nightmare. Some truth bombs here. Sometimes we're too unself-aware to realize that we just rub people up the wrong way, and people are annoyed by us. It's not necessarily the enemy. Uh, Some Christians, as C.S. Lewis put it, are obsessed with 
the devil and the demonic, and they look for it everywhere, and that is a, a major error and an unhealthy interest, as he put it. Did you know, when you read the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus never went looking for a demon. He never, ever focused on the activity of the enemy. When one came up, he dealt with it, and he was so much more focused on the things of God. So sometimes we can uh, be in danger of over-spiritualizing everything, but the second error some Christians fall into is that we under-spiritualize stuff. Uh, we live as though there isn't a spiritual reality. We completely ignore the battle that we're in, and we refuse to pray, and we refuse to engage, we refuse to see, and, and we turn a blind eye to it. And when that happens, it can mean that the enemy advances his purposes um, rather than us participating with God in extending his kingdom. So when I speak about the enemy, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, for thousands of years, followers of Jesus have spoken of three enemies of the soul as found in the Bible. Number one, the world. Number two, the flesh. And number three, the devil. Let me just unpack these briefly. The world is the enemy around us. The flesh is the enemy within us. The devil is the enemy above us. Let me give you a few verses to demonstrate this. Now, when I talk about the world, I want you to remember I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spiritual forces behind the systems of our world, systems which thrive on oppression and slavery, promote injustice and sin. Romans 12 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What Paul is saying here is that there is a world around us desperately trying to get us to conform into its image rather than the image of Jesus. And notice the solution to this, Paul says, is to renew our minds, which seems to suggest that there is a battle for our minds. More on this in a moment. That's the world. Then there's the flesh. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The flesh is the enemy within us. Jesus teaches us to control that. Otherwise, it will control and destroy us. Finally, the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Interesting that Peter connects this to our minds as well. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So each of these three things, the world, the flesh, the devil, is actively waging war against followers of Jesus to lead us away from him, away from the kingdom, and to try and deform us out of his likeness. Now, it sounds stressful, but I want you to relax. It's not. It's all good. Do you know why? Because the battle has already been won. Amen? The battle has already been won. Jesus came to defeat the kingdom of darkness, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So Jesus came 2,000 years ago to destroy the work of the enemy, to manifest his kingdom on the earth. And throughout his life and ministry, he constantly fought against the, the kingdom of darkness. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He was undoing the works of the enemy. He was bringing liberty and freedom and hope. He was led by the Spirit to remember into the desert to face those three 
enemies of the soul, the devil, he was offered the world and he was given a, a quick fix to satisfaction by eating the bread. It was a, a battle of the flesh. Now, where that didn't work because Jesus resisted the enemy, the enemy tried to kill Jesus. And on a hill 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was crucified. In excruciating agony, he was publicly humiliated, tortured, mocked, betrayed, denied, falsely accused. He gave up his life willingly, his final words declaring, it is finished. And in that moment on the cross, he wore three spikes and a thorny crown. Jesus Christ, who's prophetically called captain of the host, he fought a cosmic battle against the forces of evil. Three days later, he rose again victorious, eternally disarming sin, death, hell, and the grave. Church, we've already won. This is actually good news. Do you understand? It's actually good news. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus disarmed the powers of evil and triumphed over them. They are a defeated foe, but they are not yet completely destroyed. One day when Jesus returns, all evil will be dealt with. The enemy will be completely destroyed forever. But in the meantime, the battle continues. The kingdom is always advancing. But how many of you know God now chooses to do this in partnership with his sons and daughters? God now actively invites us to step into the fight knowing who we are in our identity as followers of Jesus, sons carrying a royal authority and the one that is in us is greater than the one that's in the world. We get to step into the battle and push back darkness. We need to know who we are. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be intimidated. We need to know the mandate that we've been given, the power that lives us in us. And when we know that, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. One of my heroes is an old Pentecostal preacher called Smith Wigglesworth. You've heard of Smith. He's a wild man. I would not use him as a model for ministry. Uh, he would punch people. He wasn't safeguarded, safeguarded trade, trained. Um, I'll explain later. But one of my favorite Smith Wigglesworth stories is that um, he was asleep one night and he woke up and there was something sat on the end of his bed. He opened his eyes and it was a story that I've heard is a grotesque figure. It was the devil sat on the end of Smith Wigglesworth's bed. Now, I don't know what you would think if that was you. If it was me, I'd need a fresh change of sheets. <laughs> I would be stressed. Um, do you know what Smith Wigglesworth did? He said, oh, it's only you. Turned over and went back to sleep. Isn't that wild? Smith knew who he was and the God that he served and wasn't intimidated by the enemy. Now, it's worth saying that most spiritual attacks are not the devil sitting on the end of our bed. The tactics of the enemy are predictable. Temptation, distraction, discouragement, accusation, lies, whispers which twist the truth, questions such as, did God really say? Feeding insecurity, offering instant fixes, and the battle most of the time happens in our minds, which brings us back to prayer. What prayer does is prayer brings our whole being, including our minds, back into connection with God. Prayer realigns our thought patterns with the Lord's. Prayer shifts our perspective. 
Prayer enables us to listen to truth. Prayer renews our vision. Prayer restores our hope. Prayer takes our gaze off the the things of the world and the things of the flesh and the things of the devil and it reorients our gaze back to Jesus. Prayer removes us from the situation that we're in and connects us back to God. We'll give you just a fresh story of me thinking about this and experiencing this this week. Um, I don't don't like to over-spiritualize things. I'm conscious of that. But in preparation of this message, I really felt like I'd stepped into a bit of this battle, or at least I was experiencing this. Um, More than normal, life over the last few days in particular has felt like a battle, like a wrestle. More than normal, my mind has felt out of control. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. More than normal, I find myself aligning and agreeing with fear rather than faith or beginning to believe some of the things that are in my mind. Um, More than normal, I felt the temptation to believe lies. Paul speaks about the fiery darts of the enemy, which are thoughts that he just injects into our mind. Lies that we're called to take captive in prayer, but if we don't, they can run amok and begin to shape our life. And I just felt like I was in the midst of this wrestle. We'd been away for a family weekend and I was struggling and I got the train home late last night. Hannah and Ivy, my wife and daughter, have stayed uh, with family. And um, my heart and mind are just in a wrestle and I'm praying. I get off the train and there's no taxis available. So I walk home about quarter past 10 and um, I decide to pray as I'm walking. I just invite God into this and I feel full of fear about a situation. I'm really struggling with it. And I just invite God and I just speak some truth over myself and I begin to cry. And that annoys me because I really wanted uh, some cheesy chips on the way home. (laughs) And I thought there's no way I'll go into Square Pan Pizza. I had to walk past Square Pan Pizza because I'm I'm flooded with tears. I look like an absolute loser. Um, So a bit of a... All that to say, in these moments, that half an hour as I'm just like, okay, God, I invite you into this moment, into this situation, God, just connect. I need help, I need vision, I need perspective. That, that walk changed everything. When you begin to pray, the enemy begins to experience resistance. He slows and stops. The whispers quiet, peace reigns, vision returns. Prayer changes things. And by the time I'd arrived on Priniav outside Papa's Pizza, I felt better. (laughs) I'd won the spiritual battle and my reward was a large cheesy chips and a Toblerone in bed at 11.30. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Forget not his benefits. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, God, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Why does Jesus want us to pray this? It is because temptation and the evil one have the capacity to destroy us and shipwreck our faith. Here's the most important thing. If we let them, if we let them, let me say this. The enemy has some power, but no authority over you except that which you give him. Let me say that again. The enemy has some power, but no authority over our lives except that which we give him. How do we give him authority? We give him authority over our lives when we say yes to him rather than yes to the Holy Spirit. When we agree with the lies that he speaks, when we say yes to his promptings rather than the the Lord. The Bible speaks of giving the enemy a foothold. It doesn't say the enemy is going to take a foothold in your life. 
It says we let the enemy have a foothold. And so Jesus teaches us that a core part of our prayer life has to be every day in battle against the schemes of the enemy and against temptation, resistance and vigilance. Prayer realigns our minds to the truth, back to connection and intimacy with God. It resets our vision on God and it is powerful. Amen? Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Let me just spend a few moments on this before I finish. Temptation. What is temptation? Well, it is important to say, I've had a few conversations about temptation this week. People are like, well, um, would God lead us into temptation? The answer is no. James 1, when you are tempted to do wrong, don't say God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted and he will never tempt anyone. Okay? So God will never, ever tempt you because temptation is an invitation to sin. Verse 14, a man is tempted to do wrong when he lets himself be led, underline this in your Bible, by, his bad, by what his bad thoughts tell him to do. When he does this, what his, when he does what his bad thoughts tell him to do, he sins. When sin completes its work, it brings death. Temptation happens when we choose to lead ourselves. Did you notice in the passage, he uses the language of being led. When a man allows himself to be led, And how did Jesus flip it in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation. So when temptation happens, when we choose to to lead ourselves rather than be led by the Holy Spirit. When we pray, lead us not into temptation. We're not saying to God, oh, please don't tempt me. We're actually positioning our hearts afresh to be led by the Holy Spirit and not to be led by myself. How many of you know if you try and lead yourself, it's not going to end well? I have been there thousands of times. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking that we would be aligned to God's heart and heaven's purposes and kingdom values, and we would just avoid anything that would distract us or destroy us. A lot of times we allow ourselves to be in, easy, in situations where we become an easy target for the enemy. When our dials are empty, our emotional, spiritual, physical energies are low. You are an easy target for the enemy. Have you ever noticed that? Just me. Thanks, guys. When we're tired, when we're feeling down, late at night, when we've not slept, when we've served God a lot and feel like we deserve a break, someone or something in that moment offers us an easy way out, a shortcut to pleasure or connection, a way of feeling happy. And oftentimes we take it. If you notice the environment your heart is in when you say yes to temptation, I guarantee you'll notice a pattern. When you're tired, when you're struggling. John Mark Comer said this, it's hard for the enemy to tempt a well-rested Christian. If you want to resist temptation, get a good night's sleep. Such a practical thing to do. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are actively acknowledging that I am vulnerable to the enemy and I refuse to let myself get anywhere near a place where I mess up. I'm so committed to living a life that honors the Lord. I refuse to be so arrogant as to presume I don't need to pray. I've got this sorted. In fact, I realize I could mess up at any moment. I could mess up. Chris Rogers uh, the, I think he leads Spring Harvest. He came and did a men's weekend a bunch of years ago. And he said this line I've never forgotten. He said, leads a church, leads Spring Harvest. He said, I am only ever three clicks away from watching pornography. 
at any moment. And he's like, we just need to get ourselves away from that. Lead me, God, because if I lead myself, I know I am gonna mess this up. Lead me not into temptation. And if we don't pray this prayer, as I have experienced in the story of my life, the consequence of that will be evident in our life. And maybe you're here today and you just feel like, do you know what, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I have said yes over and over and over and over to when temptation comes. I feel like the more I say yes, the more it gets easy. My conscience gets seared and you're just battling this. If that's you today, you need to know there is grace for you for a fresh start. There is grace. There is grace. And do you know what grace does? Grace empowers us to rule again. And I believe for some of us this morning, God is echoing the invitation he, ca- he gave to Cain in the book of Genesis. He said this, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to control you, but you must rule over it. And I want to say this morning, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the king. There is a royal authority on your life. You are clothed with righteousness, not because of what you've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. You are set free, healed, whole, a co-heir with Christ, destined to rule with God over creation. And God wants to restore to you that royal charge to rule with him in your life. The enemy has power, but no authority except that which we give him. And so in a few moments, we are going to pray for those of us that have said yes too many times to the enemy, that we take that authority back by the blood of Jesus. God desires freedom for you, freedom from captivity, Freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you to freedom. Let me say this two more minutes. You can't ask God to lead you away from temptation and then position yourself in a place of temptation. We need to follow God where he is. So what is the thing in your life that is causing you to be bound? Whatever it is, kill it. Flee from it, run. Paul says this to Timothy as a father to a son. Flee from these things. Joseph, when he gets hit on by Potiphar's wife, he runs, doesn't he? He just gets out of there and come to God with all your stuff. Don't hide anything. Come to God. Bring your lust and your pride or your arrogance or your anger or your comparison. Or your Whatever the enemy is getting you into, bring it to the Lord. And this is how we live over victory over the evil one. James 4, 7 says this, submit to the authority of God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Three ways to resist temptation. Receive and live in grace. Grace empowers us, there's no condemnation. Secondly, recognize the battlefield is in your mind. Lies are the primary tactic, and prayer is the primary weapon. And talk about it with someone. We're in a family, you're struggling, bring it into the light, healing happens in community. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.